Greetings there, SE land. This is Twig, Anthony Twig Wheeler. I'm here with another SE Reflections. This is a podcast series for SE students and practitioners. This here episode, episode number 74, helping your clients get to know you quickly. Now, if we go back to the very beginning of these podcast things that I offer up here, I said that this would not be a sequential conversation. It's not. I'm not offering that. It's not a workshop per se. Just thoughts, things for you to think about, reflect on, an opportunity for me to share these ideas with you and get them out of my own head. This, however, can be somewhat sequential because last episode, episode 73, was all on getting to know your clients quickly making sure that when you first encounter people that are going to become your clients, that you pay attention to how you feel, how you react, what you notice inside of yourself, at the same time as you take in various different observations that you can make about a person's personality, their willingness to participate with you, their postural forms, their norms, their movement patterns, what kind of facial expressions they make, which I didn't touch on very much, in fact, micro-expressions is a big part of that, noticing people's micro-expressions, and et cetera, et cetera. You kind of come into contact with people, you're getting to know them over the first 20 minutes, hour, two hours, three sessions, and hopefully that's going to guide your expectations of what you can ask of your work with them, Hopefully it's going to guide your choice of interventions on where you lead or, you know, yeah, lead them toward for establishing the initial rhythm of what the two of you need to do together so that you'll be more successful later. If you're meeting only a very limited, short, instantaneous, just one meeting or short time, you look at these kind of feedback that you get by paying attention to who this person is and what you can see, maybe most especially in this case with how their nervous system is working, how much you see ventral vagal, social engagement, orientation, movement of the head and neck, free movement of the facial muscles, especially the muscles above the eyes, like how does their voice have prosody, how much do they pendulate. You look at these ventral vagal kind of elements and you Look toward the sympathetic side of how much agitation you see, how you see their heart beating or their breath rate going, how they kind of focus with their eyes or focus on things. You look at their sympathetic reactivity and responses. Maybe you're, you're trying to pick up very quickly how much dorsal vagal influence there is, how dissociated the person is from the space, from their conversation with you, from engaging with you, from looking at you, how much kind of movement or lack of movement they have in their face, what you hear about their belly and their digestive process, what you hear about their breath, what you hear about their ability to mobilize in their lives. You're looking for these things as quickly as possible to say, oh, you know, a bit more ventral vagal here. Oh, a little bit more dorsal vagal here. This is going to tell you so much about what you might choose to do in order to get things moving in the right direction. So, or if you've got this limited time, make sure that you don't do something that is going to, you know, just cause it to get so much worse because of your one hour influence, which is completely possible. You know, if you 
think about it and people in a dorsal vagal state they their nervous system is very unlikely to change in the same kind of way that somebody's sympathetic system that's kind of like i was just in an accident and i'm vibrating still from the accident you can kind of see the the thwarted mobility that's trying to happen you can just you know should should you be able to get things safe enough in one hour you can help a person walk right out of that somebody else who's been lingering down in the dorsal vagal state or kind of dealing with other altered states or surgical scenes or any kind of like excessive inhibition on the breath system and everything going to be a slower change can be not wanting to try to affect as much change as quickly and we have to be able to read that stuff so we try and get our to know our clients quickly well here here in this episode episode 74 just to turn that around not to get as extensive and won't have so much storytelling as as episode 73 yet to look at how the opposite is also true and you are you are responsible for this in your professional role you're not only responsible to try to get to know your clients very quickly you're also responsible to try to help your clients get to know you quickly you're trying to help your clients get to know you and what happens in your office for a way of saying it just about as well as you can or just about as fast as you can the easiest place to see why this is true is that if if we look at the opposite of that or we look at maybe maybe better said we look at one of the ways to affect this most um, diresome, to you know, get in the way of your clients knowing you quickly, is for you to have erratic signal, for you to be confused about the signal that you're providing, or to not have consistency in your feedback. Since you're just meeting this person for the first time, and they're just coming into your office for the first time, they might have all kinds of preconceptions about what's to happen in your office based on hundred years of psychotherapy and the cultural norm of that or having entered into the alternative therapy mindfulness realm of things and they they've heard about somatic experiencing and they want to they want to try this and do this with you and they've read the book and they know what this is supposed to look like which might not have anything to do with what it's going to look like for them right what we what we name out and what's out there in the in the literature and everything are very specialized moments and kind of the magic session which often have lots and lots of buildup and skill building behind them and or are simply ready to go off in a way that most people that that they're going to need some they're going to need to wind things up <laughs> get things moving in the right direction for any of that to happen most of the time and yet there is will be of course some people who come in and they're just ready and it's going to be the magic session and you you wouldn't even have to really be there except that if you're not there then it can't happen so there's this entire spectrum of different ways that you'll first encounter people they're less or more inclined and their expectations are less or more helpful in terms of what you're going to do in your office within at least the scope of this kind of work where you're going to be you know asking for people's participatory relationship with their experience whether that be in their image field or their their sensorial realm their you know 
emotions or, you know, just kind of like pacing with you when tracking through the storyline and, and kind of being willing to engage their experientialness around how it is they notice themselves and their experience. It's a, it's a unique kind of thing. It's not unique to nowhere else in the world that shares any similarities to it. So it's not like you're, it's not like you have to explain the universe and, and rewrite, you know, the wheel. And at the same time, people are coming to you with their own expectations that are unlikely to be what you are going to do with them. <laughs> unlikely. You know, it's it, by degree, less and less likely. Yeah. So you need, you need to kind of set the conditions for your office. You need to help this person understand what happens in your office. Now, you can do that by explaining against everything that they might previously conceive as what they're supposed to do in here. Oh, you think it's supposed to be like that, but we're going to do it like this. You could explain against that. Or you could be a guide into a new thing where you essentially make some kind of contract that says this is a, a new thing and I'm going to guide you through it. And you start to establish that pattern or you can do like some many of us try to do which is to more or less meet the person within the context that they expect themselves to be in from within a context that we expect ourselves to be in and over the the breadth of conversation and getting to know each other we introduce and invite through repetitive and successful engagement with you know, asking little things about their experience and kind of building up the success of that, we establish the conditions and context of what happens here without being quite so abrupt or affrontive or rote as a, as a planned pattern. And yet at the same time, you know, at least when I do that, I'm, I'm generally following a kind of a pattern, even though it's inside of a conversation, I'm looking for specific kinds of things to be in place before I then introduce new work things like orientation and the ability to have our conversation go back and forth at the right rhythm and that kind of thing. And nevertheless, there is this kind of, with all of those, the consequence of having, the, the benefit of having consistent feedback and the consequence of having poor, erratic, chaotic feedback. If you're helping your clients get to know you quickly and get to know your office quickly, Regardless of how it is that you're going to guide that through conversation or through a direct narrative about what's happening, whatever, the more consistent you are about your feedback, particularly in, in contrast to the fact that they likely think that your office represents something other than what it probably does, the more consistent you are about what your office does represent, the better off you are. I mean, it just it's going to help in so many different ways. It's going to help in so many different ways. And you can see how it would go wrong in so many different ways. Your client meets you for the first time and your session runs an hour and 15 minutes. Okay, well, they're getting to know you. They're getting to know how your office works. Well, at an hour, you know, you were done, but you, you wanted to be sure that they understood how important this was. And so you talked a little bit more to explain more of how this works or... You wanted to be able to answer all of their questions so that you knew that they really, that you really pay attention to them. And so you like stayed an hour and 15 or, you know, you, you, whatever, however it happened, your first session goes an hour and 15 minutes, which I don't have any problem with. Like you can have hour and 15 minute sessions. 
However, when you're helping your client get to know you, the first things that they do with you set up their expectations of what happens in your office. So if you go an hour and 15 minutes in the first session, then the second session, if you don't bring it back to an hour right away and kind of get the clarity of your signal, then you might very well just start to set up the signal that says your sessions go an hour and 15 minutes. And then when you go to change it, the third session, the fourth session, you're starting to think, oh no, we have a pattern here and we're always going over and now I have to call her attention into knowing that we should end it an hour. Well, you're confusing your signal to your clients. You know you're going to need to do that at some point. Far better to be consistent right at the beginning and especially in the first engagements around things to have it work and have it make sense and have it fit and be congruent and have it consistent. So here's something you could do. You wouldn't want to, so don't do this, but we do. I know a lot of us have. I don't, I don't think you can not do this. When you're learning, you have to ask, what are you noticing in your body right now? Can I ask you what you're noticing in your body right now? Oh, you know, as we're talking, can you tell me what you notice in your body right now? Now, we, we use that. That question is, is probably, you know, if there was a Google alert, which is a, you know, kind of a, a thing on Google that kind of pings or makes a, a little calculation of every time a word is, is searched for. If since the start of this work, there was a, a worldwide collection of how often a sentence had been said, we would see this incredible spike going on in the last 20 years of, can you tell me how you, what you notice in your body right now? That's, that's just like so different. Nobody ever asked me that when I was 12 years old. Now, look, you, we have to ask that question. And of course, in the training, we see that that really works and people respond well to that question. And then many of you, many of us <laughs> have experienced that in, in our offices, that question can sometimes be very productive. And at other times, can set up the, the most awkward silence where a very sincere question that we find to be full of weight and significance and somehow the magic doorway through which we're going to enter into this healing that's waiting to happen. We, we have this, this edge of profundity on the backside of inside of us of what do you notice inside your body right now? Tell me. Tell me so that we can learn how to follow that. And your client, who has no experience with this and is coming from a whole different world and has never heard that question before, or maybe has heard that question other times and felt the same similar awkwardness of not being able to answer it accurately, certainly not as profoundly as it might have been offered to, when you get that incongruity of you wanting the answer to this question and your client not able or interested or even knowing how to answer this question. What you do is you set up the signal that says your questions don't work very well. And that's not what we want our clients to get to know about us quickly. We want our clients to know us quickly and to know that we make sense and to know that our questions are valid and that they can help things move in the right direction. We want our clients to hear our questions 
at times when our questions spark something in them that say, yeah, okay, that makes sense, and adds a kind of like a stepping stones or, or a ladder or a stairway through which we build momentum of a consistency that says, oh, you know, my signal makes sense. I'm asking you this. I'm asking you that. You're able to answer this. You're able to answer that. And if we can see that they're not going to be able to answer those questions, well, you know, we might need to titrate them back. We need to make them smaller, make the requests smaller. We need to make them more oblique. We need to give them more space. We need to give more explanation as we come in. There might be all kinds of things that we need to do. But certainly the first one we'll need to do is not make our signal inconsistent or consistent in reinforcing the idea that we don't know what we're doing or that we are somehow asking questions that don't feel to make sense to people and they learn that that's what we do. We don't want that. You don't want that. So you at least have to hold back, knowing knowing that you don't want that awkward silence, knowing that you don't want to ask questions that don't go anywhere. Whether you know all of the little tricks inside of how to make a question small enough, mitigate it down, to where it'll be successful at getting across where your client can answer the question. Thus, they'll get the experience of your questions being something they can answer and thus making sense. And then you'll be able to build off of their answer and grow that until where finally you might say something like, oh, and how about now? What do you notice in your body now? And your client will fully appreciate and understand and be able to participate with that request and feed back their answer easily to you, easily enough, well, to build that up, you might have to learn a lot of things, but the first thing you'll have to do is not continue to make erratic, inconsistent signal or confusing signal about the value of your questions. So there's this kind of thing we can see. We don't want our sessions to go over too long because we establish, like at the beginning, because we, we establish a pattern of expectation toward that. We don't want to ask questions that aren't going to go anywhere because we'll establish a pattern of expectation like that. We don't want to do any, we don't want to say, that's it, all the time. That's it. Person, oh, that's it. You notice something, that's it. They, they move their arm and, oh, I notice your arm. Or they move their other arm. Oh, I notice your shoulder. Oh, they, they kind of tap their foot. I see you're tapping your foot. We don't want to comment on every last little thing that a person picks up or moves and, and we observe parentheses, you're going to have to do that. It's going to be part of the learning. And then as you get to where you're learning it, you let go of those parentheses because you think, you're right, I don't want to do that. I want to give a consistent signal that if I point out a movement, I'm, I'm pointing at something that they're going to find valid when I bring their attention to it. And I'm helping them to learn that I'm consistent and valid in my approximation of what I notice about their behavior. And they're willing to follow that because it's, it's kind of shown something before. So in this case, with a movement pattern, when we see somebody's shoulder shrug, oftentimes we don't bring attention to it the first time we see the shrug. We wait two, three times, let it cultivate, let it ripen, let it get stronger, let the signal of the use of that movement become more. If it's a real thing, it's going to cycle around and you're going to see it again. And there it is again. You'll just kind of think to yourself, oh, there it is again. 
oh, if I bring attention to it now, it might be too early, and then I'll have an inconsistent signal of what I bring attention to being valid. I don't want to do that, so I'll just wait. We'll continue to talk. That movement will continue to mobilize. As it does, it'll become kind of more signal-heavy inside the body and easier to notice. It'll, it'll cultivate itself, yeah? And then you can bring it attention to it at some later point, two minutes down the line, and find out, particularly if you scale your request toward feeling something, doing that a little bit, feeling just a tiny little bit into that, Oh, just wondering if you notice anything there, if things seem completely quiet or not. You might change up your request to find the right scale at which they'll be able to turn their attention to that movement and actually feel something that says yes to your request. Well, you could see before that they weren't primed for that yet. You couldn't ask for that yet. Don't ask for it. One of the trickiest things is learning not only all of the nuances of how you bring people's attention successfully into their experience, but how to hold back your own inconsistency of signal and your, your own curiosity, which we want you to have. That's, you want to have that, but you want to, it's this kind of thing. I have to hold these things back to provide more and more consistency so that when I come forward with a request, it has more weight in standing. And you're trying to help your clients get to know that that's how you do things just about as quickly as you can. And the more confused those are, the more you say that's it when it's not the that's it moment, the more your client is sitting there trying to figure out what happens in your office and what does this all mean. And if they don't get a consistent signal of that, it's harder for them to put it together and figure out how to participate more congruently with what it is that you're offering in your office. The last one I'll say about this is orientation. You know, when you're, if, if you're into this where, you know, it could do feet on the floor or feet against the back or back against the chair. There are lots of different patterns. Some of us, particularly those, I guess, who have hang out with Stephen Hoskinson, but Peter Levine does this excessively, like extensively too. So it's like, it's, it's, this is a thing for us. We often start with some quality of orientation, some quality of trying to get the attention out of the body. And some of us break this down to something that's like, I know you don't know what happens in my office, but I'm going to show you. I'm going to explain to you. I'm going to either tell you or just do it by demonstration that in my office, we are going to do repeated rounds of orientation. This is going to be something that happens two, three, five, twenty times inside of an hour where we may be perhaps continually while talking perhaps as a complete pause to our interaction, but definitely as a pause to internalize tracking, we're going to bring the attention out and kind of investigate something outside of ourselves. Whether that's in a conversation, could be more likely it's looking out the window, looking around the room, looking at the world, like observing what it, what it feels like or seems like to, to look around now, get to know the world this time, get to see the space around us that we're in right now, all kinds of different invitations to that. But we're looking, and I'm looking, really, for that to become a norm, just a complete norm where from the earliest meetings, my clients get to know that when they're around me, we're going to have this in and out rhythm, out and in rhythm, of at times we'll 
pay close attention to things. And at other times, we'll transition from that to where we're really loosening the attention and letting ourselves look around. That is very unusual for people in their daily lives. It's unusual. I have to work at it in my daily life. You know, I have a little thing I do whenever I'm loading something on my phone or my computer and I get the little wheel that spins around. Any little wheel, I just look at that and I think, oh, that's my orientation reminder. And I just start to look around again. I, I have to put in little reminders in my day everywhere in order to get myself to do this. It's, it's something that all other mammals are doing right now. If they're out in the field, they're orienting and reorienting all the time. You feel so much better if you let yourself do it. Our society gives you very little impulse to do it, and it's completely necessary, at least in my perspective, for the completion of the stress response and the priming of that. So... I do it. I set it up. It's like a thing. And people learn that the first 10 minutes that they come into my office and it gets reinforced consistently throughout the first session. It gets reinforced again the second session. By the third session, my clients generally understand and appreciate that this is something that we do in here. And that that comes from a consistency of saying this is what we're going to do and this is and this is us doing it. Whether or not you name that or just demonstrate that, which is kind of a slicker way to do it. Yes, indeed. Those are some thoughts, not extensive, not exhaustive, but some thoughts on the fact that you're trying to help your clients get to know you quickly. And one of the central frames behind that is that the consistency of your signal on things that you're concerned about for later success in your sessions, your setting up of initial conditions, as it were, those things really matter that you both, you know, you know, you let yourself experiment, you're going to have to, but then you, you start to tighten down on what is it that I'm trying to make happen here and how can I best achieve that by giving a consistent movement in that direction and stop having extra unnecessary confusion from things that I haven't quite you know, tightened up enough yet. Okay then, that's that. And I... And wishing you all out there the very, very best. Okay, take care. Bye bye. And here's a little tracking twig moment. Tomorrow, January 27th, I'll be in Northampton offering my little workshop where to start. It's going to be uh, performance workshoppy based. I'm excited about it. Looking forward to seeing any of you there. Late February, February 27th and 28th, I'm in Tucson, Arizona. going to do a little thing on marketing SE to new clients as well as a demo day. You can find out information about all of those and other things like it at my website, liberationispossible.org backslash schedule. That's that.